Right at the Fork is supported by Picnic, the app where you can share and discuss your best dishes. Picnic. Eat better together. That's P-I-Q-N-I-Q. Download it today on iTunes. Like you need somebody in here to be like and roll sound. But, oh, that's Hank Kingsley. Do we? We need we need that guy. Jeffrey Tambor. We need that exactly. We need that He's guy. He's the guy. We have to get him. Right. So welcome back to another edition of Right at the Fork. I am Court Johnson, a, a new addition, so to speak, to the uh, to the Right at the Fork family. A different role. A different role. You've been in. A, you've been. I've been in the room. Right in the room. Yeah. Making sure it sounds great. Yeah. Um, and now you're gonna in a different way. I like make sure it sounds. Great. I like to think of me as the Andy Richter or the Ed McMahon to your Johnny Carson or uh, well, that, Conan O'Brien. Yeah, but that's you didn't obviously didn't watch Little Larry Sanders show because Hank King's well, okay. the consummate. Yeah, no, that's that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yes. okay. You did mention that just just a moment ago. Yeah, so yes. I guess I'm that guy too. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll see. We'll yeah. see how it, we're gonna develop a. We'll see how this develops <laughs> over the course of, of a few weeks as, as we're doing this. We'll, we'll find out how it works out. I anyway. think it'll work out really well. And by the way, I'm Chris Angelo. Yes. I was just about to introduce you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're tracking our way through year three. A, a successful year three so far, I'd have to say. Yeah, we've got some really nice, uh, some great guests lined up. Mm-hmm. We're going to still focus on the backstories of our the people in our food scene that make up the food scene in Portland. But sometimes we're going to we're going to focus a little bit on some of the news going on and get a little deeper behind those the eater headlines and the Oregonian headlines yeah. that you see. So, well, I got to say I know, I know today's guest when I was here in the building getting prepared for it and people were asking me what's going on I I told oh, them yeah. who this was coming awesome. in Every, everybody's like what who he, he's going to be in the building. No, it's awesome. We've yeah. been wanting Gregory for 2 years and we finally got him here like hours after he flew in from New York. Right. So um so Gregory Gorday really great way to start off 2016. He is the executive chef at Departure in Portland, soon to also be at Departure in Denver, correct? Indeed. Yes. And um, Gregory uh, was at Saucebox, and we can go over your history. Actually, Gregory's a New York guy, and and today I think is a little milestone for him because I saw him post on Facebook yesterday that his sister is leaving New York City and his base of operations is no longer going to be there. Oh, wow. Officially only a Portlander at this time. Yeah, well, that, that's good. That happened to me. Yeah. Uh, all my bases of operations were just taken away once I got, a port, got to Portland, yeah. and I'm really happy about that. I hope you are, too. You still I have friends it. in New York. I do, of course, of course. So Gregory um, came to, we're going to talk a little bit about why and how he came to Portland, um, and we're glad he did. Um, but he worked at Saucebox and then, as I said, got the executive chef job at Departure. Since then, it's an incredible, incredible journey for this guy. Um, he's had a lot of things motivate him to do not only incredible work with food, but incredible work as a, as a promoter. And I don't say that in a negative way. I say that in a very positive way. As one of the best the best natural organic promoters of his restaurant and what he does himself. Also, um, 
as an inspiration to many running, 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 <laughs> running, and more running. And so you're going to pick it up this year. Um, at any rate, um, every time I see Gregory, he's got a big smile on his face, and I can't understand why. <laughs> right? Because you're doing so much. It's because he knows something you don't. Maybe he knows a lot that I don't. Not sure. He knows a lot that I don't, and uh, and that's what we're here to find out. What he, some of the things he knows that we don't know. Correct. Indeed. Thank you for coming. Of course. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. It's well, so far. We so don't, far we're it's not been done. fun. And that's the end. And wrap. <laughs> now that's it. So um, so you can't. You flew in last night from I New did. York. I did. I you know we got through a, a very intense year at departure 2015. It was quite epic with the top, the craze of Top Chef and the amazing weather, you know, because our capacity increases by over 200 when we open our decks. So, you know, we, we saw a lot of business with the amazing weather we had last year. So it was just a crazy year overall. We got through New Year's Eve and I took a quick flight to New York just to decompress, regroup with my family real quick before I dive into 2016. And what does diving into 2016 mean? 2016 is going to be another big year for me and for us as we embark on opening our second departure. Um, my new title is going to be Culinary Director of Departure Brand. So, oh, that's and you made that brand, my friend. I w- was a part of it. No, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna counter you and say you made that brand. Yeah, I mean, there was a vision. I came on board a year after the vision was in place, and you know, six years later, we have what it is, and you know, we're currently. You know, duplicating it and, you know, seeing what the best parts are and, and working on some other parts. And, you know, it's going to be pretty cool, you know, for me to be an executive chef and to open a second operation in a different state is a really big feat for me. And it's a really big operation. So I'm, I'm really lucky and grateful and really excited for the learning opportunity that's about to go down. And you've had quite a few learning opportunities. Is that scary for you as as somebody who is, you know, I know you came in a year after departure started, but mm-hmm. like. Is that scary to not have complete control, or are you going to be spending your time going back and uh, forth? I'll definitely be going back and forth. You know, I'm a well-seasoned traveler, and I can multitask pretty well, <laughs> right. based um, as apparently as my lifestyle shows. But, you know, for me, you know, my first job was at Jean-Georges in New York City, and, you know, for me, that was really the example that kind of set a lot of things that I've wanted in my career. I don't think specifically, but in the background, you know, Jean-Georges has a global empire with 30 restaurants. And my mentor, Gregory Brannon, who was the creative director um, and my chef for many, many years, you know, I through my career, I watched him open restaurants around the world. Um, and, you know, that became my model. And it's not something I specifically wanted. It's, it's something that happened. And, and I'm, I'm feeling ready for the challenge. And, and where were you in your life when you started at that restaurant? Because I know life was pretty challenging for you. I, I started at Jean-Georges in 99. I was attending the Culinary Institute of America, and I was on extern at Jean-Georges, to be honest. And I did four months there, and um, it was a wonderful learning opportunity um, You know, to, to be in culinary school and to train at a four-star restaurant. You know, um, Michelin, the guide, hadn't been to New York yet, you know, but soon after, you know, Jean-Georges got three stars from Michelin, and, and he's kept his stars um, the entire time. But, you know, I went back to school super inspired, and, and, you know, I graduated from CIA in 2000, and I started at Jean-Georges as a cook in the cafe in, in, in the fall of 2000. And, you know, I, I went through all the ranks, every station, uh, two restaurants in the in the flagship building, Nougatine, the cafe, and Jean-Georges, the flagship and, you know, I, I learned as much as possible. And, and, you know, that was my formative years. I worked for him for six and a half years. 
Did you ever have moments during that period where you thought you might have gone down the wrong path where it was really scary? I, I, I mean, I, I specifically remember being on Extern and, you know, you're definitely thrown in the fire there, you know, like you're physically cooking food for people, you know, on Extern. And, you know, I, there there are some rough days, you know, back then we, we worked very, very long hours, you know, the labor laws weren't as strict, you know, we would come in at like 10 in the morning and work all day off the clock kind of deal, you know, these days it's not so much um, approved, but, you know, we, we did what it took to, to get the work done. And, um, you know, I, I remember being overwhelmed and overburdened and, and physically, like I, one day I remember he yelled at me and I started crying, like I, I literally started crying on the line. Um, you know, but you, you learn to toughen up, you know, cooking is a very challenging um, kind of man up kind of situation. And, and I toughened up, but, you know, I don't regret any of it. Now, in those days, there, were, there wasn't the motivation. And, and some people are not motivated by this, but there were there wasn't. Food Network indeed was so what was motivating I have talked about this a lot you know like for me back when I was you know in college or even in high school there wasn't culinary school culinary school wasn't this big thing it was pre uh, Food Network and you know shows like Top Chef and all these things that glamorize and you know highly publicize uh, being a chef you know I, I I fell in love with the art with the trade um, the creativity of it, you know, it was like something that finally clicked, you know, I'd gone through a bunch of different majors. I'd done pre-med, I'd done wild biology, you know, I majored in French, you know, and finally cooking was the first time school made sense to me. So, you know, it clicked and something I wanted, something I pursued, you know, I asked my parents to go to culinary school. I moved across the country back to New York to go to culinary school because I was in Montana. You know, I wanted to be a chef and it wasn't because I saw someone cooking on TV, it was because they wanted to cook. So, you know, and, 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 you know, the wages back then were, you know, pretty tough, you know, living in New York, supporting yourself, living in Queens, you know, you cooked because you wanted to pay your bills and you wanted to do it and for no other reason. So, you know, back then we stuck it out, you know, we did whatever we needed to do to, to pay those bills and to become a better chef. You, you talk about going back, back to New York, mm-hmm. you were in school. How does a, how does a kid from, from New York city end up in Montana, in going, Montana going to college? I I've, I've always, my entire life, I've always lived either somewhere small and rural or a major city. And while I grew up in Queens, you know, my parents who immigrated to the States in their 20s for education, they wanted better things for me. So I was offered the opportunity to go to boarding school. So I went to a small boarding school in Delaware for high school. Okay. Um, and if you ever seen Dead Poets Society, it was filmed there. So oh, that okay. Was, that was that was, that was That was your life. Uh, you know. To some degree. Fast forward to to the 90s but yes yeah okay yes. Were, were you a good braided belt everybody had braided belts the 80s yeah. yeah i did have a braided belt let's see here we go yeah to keep my khakis up <laughs> were you a good, were you a good student i was not the best student you know i i cherish every memory from from high school but to be very honest you know it was a little bit accelerated from i think the catholic up school bringing that i had in queens um it was just like a different tier of, of education and, you know, I was like a BC student in high school. You know, I kept at it, you know, but I wasn't the best student. So um, most, of the, most of my friends who went to boarding school, mm-hmm. it was drugs. Okay. The, the, when they went to boarding school, yeah. that's what they majored in. Okay. Well, mm, I mean, a little bit. I started smoking pot and maybe did some acid and some stuff. but Maybe. Not, nothing, just maybe. <laughs> just maybe. <laughs> nothing too crazy. No, but, you know, to, to go from, you know, like Catholic school and, and like fairly urban Queens to like reading Faulkner and Jane Austen um, was a big jump for me. Um, you know, I got through it, but it was an amazing experience. You know, I'm still amazingly close with all my friends from there. It was a very small school, 250 kids, 70 people in my graduating class. Um, so it was cool. 
Did they have any idea you were going to become what you've become? No. So when they talk to you now, are they a little like... Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just have followed my progress because I'm extremely active on social and, um, you know, I'm pretty open about my life. And I have been on social media for a very long time, even before Top Chef was on TV. So a lot of people have followed my career and my growth and, you know, it's cool. You know, I, I still respect my friends and friendship is important to me. And I still keep in touch with everyone from around the country and around the world I'm close with. Have you always been a pretty social person? And I'll tell you why I ask this. When I first met you, it was, I guess, uh, 2011, mm-hmm. right? So, and we were doing an event together mm-hmm. and we sat down with Kara. And I thought you were just really super quiet and shy. And my whole impression throughout that, that whole, except during our dinner, mm-hmm. you, were, you were very charming and, and gracious and articulate with mm-hmm. everybody. And, um, and that's good to see because not yeah. every chef is. Mm-hmm. Not every chef can do that well. Indeed. And you did. But my impression going into that is, man, he's quiet. I, I'm, and, I'm actually a very quiet person. But you've been forced not to be. I know. Like In my personal life, I'm extremely quiet. And, like, I'm actually pretty boring. <laughs> I like really simple things. But, you know, outside of that, you know, I, I'm extremely motivated. I'm extremely dedicated. You know, I'm relentless. Um, I have a lot of gumption. So, like, all these other qualities kind of push the, the, the quiet, shy guy side. And um, I always feel there's a lot of work to do. I'm, I always want to do a lot of things. Um, I have tons of energy. So that kind of overtakes the quiet guy. And uh, where do you get that energy? Where do, what what when you get up in the morning why obviously there are a lot of different things you have to do but what mm-hmm. what gets you up in the morning i mean t- to be very honest i have an extremely addictive personality you know um i was inspired by my parents who worked two jobs their entire careers to support us what do they um, do um they both worked in hospitals um medical um lab supervisors in hospital chemistry and microbiology so um that's kind of why I, I dabbled in pre-med a long time ago um, but they worked really hard to support us, and, and that was always my role model, you know, just seeing them work so much. And, you know, my personality led me to uh, addiction and, you know, even, you know, addicts who abuse drugs and alcohol. You know, that says a lot about their personality, um, you know, and if you can take all that energy, you know, I got sober almost seven years ago. So I've been able to take all that energy that I put into all these negative things, and I've been able to refocus it on my career. And, you know, just as hard as I used to go back then, you know, stay up all night, you know, like literally stay up for like three days in a row, you know, like I've taken all that energy and I've channeled into doing positive things. Was there, I'm sure there are a lot of people that, that could benefit by this and maybe it's all inherent and genetic and, or how did, how did you channel what was the addiction that wasn't good for your life Indeed. into something that was uh, Oh man, you know I mean? I, I left New York in 2007 and I was in rehab and I moved to California and you know I, I had like a couple of weeks of rehab in my head um, but not really understanding what to do with my life what was going on um, not really understanding what sobriety meant and what I need to do to really change my life and you know it took about a year and a half of living in California and moving to Portland and you know having a, a pretty big relapse in Portland um, before I just realized that I want to change my life and it didn't take a lot for me to actually physically get sober the, the, the last time I really, really tried. You know, I, I'd, I was like 33, you know, I'd gone through so many jobs, I'd moved across the country so many times. So, you know, I really just kind of woke up one day and was like, do you think you're done 
doing drugs and drinking for the rest of your life. And do you remember that day? Do you know it on the calendar? Oh, uh, not on the calendar, but you know, it it was a series of events over the course of a month, and I I gave myself a month to think about it. And it was meeting. um, I talked about this in my TED talk, but it was like literally a really close friend of mine from college, and we partied together for many, many years. And he had been sober for about three years, and I had literally stayed up all night doing coke and drinking and smoking weed, and. I had to meet him at Ikea, and we were in the parking lot at Ikea at like 8 in the morning um, because he was visiting town, and I was like, I can't do this. Like, what should I do? And he was like, you should go to AA. So literally the next day, I, I, I showed up at an AA meeting, and, and you know, I, I've never looked back. So it, it, it was it was a very quick, um, thoughtful decision, um, and, you know, like immediately overnight, you know, like instead of going to the bar, I went to the gym instead of you know, going partying and clubbing, you know, I started running and I, and I immediately jumped in. In a big way. And did, I did. Yeah, I, I got to say, uh, your TED Talk, which if the listeners to this podcast haven't checked it out, you need to, because when you introduce yourself, you actually introduce yourself as an addict and an alcoholic first. Indeed. Before you even get to being an executive chef or, or any of that stuff. And that story is pretty powerful just because it sounds like that really has defined it was like the Gregory before and now the Gregory after. Indeed. You know, uh, you know, it, the first time you say that out loud is pretty hard. Yeah. You know, like for me to walk into a meeting, you know, a few years ago and, you know, be new and be awkward and, and not know much about it and, and to say that out loud, it's it's it's, it's oh, tough. I, know? I I got chills, Gregory, when when I was because I wasn't I was not expecting that to be mm-hmm. the first. My name is Gregory. Yeah. I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. And I was just like, wow, like you just laid it all out. Yeah. You know, but that's it, empowering though, it to is. be able to it's, do that. Yeah. It's it's self-realization it's you know it's just being able to be in a place in my life where I'm completely open about things you know I, I felt with Ted that I had put so much of my life out there that I had to peel one more layer yeah um, and it gives you a sense of freedom and a lot of people have reached out to me through that so it's pretty cool and I think it takes extra effort on your part because you're in an industry where those temptations are always there it they are they are but I I I've lived many lives I <laughs> I've partied for enough people for for you know more than my lifetime and and you know I have amazing memories and I'm um, I'm happy that is behind me at this point though so what did you uh, what did you take from that that made you so excellent is that still that drive to that addictive drive that causes you to be an excellent chef yeah I mean I'm like not really competitive I'm just extremely motivated you know but for me I'm not competitive in the sense that I want to do better than other people I'm competitive in the sense that I want certain things and I want what I do and things in my life to be the best that they can Um, and the truth is I work an extremely huge restaurant that I have to keep filled with seats um, to be a successful restaurateur and chef and and businessman so if, if if I don't make the best food that we can and have the best events that attract, you know, people who happily want to spend their money and feel they're getting something worth it back in return, you know, then I'm, I'm not doing it right, you know, and, and that's what's driven me the past few years here. Did you ever anticipate that you would have to be a great manager of people to be a great chef? Uh, other than the skills with the knife, yeah. And so I forth. mean, I think for anyone, the management is something that that comes later because no one becomes a chef to manage people, you know. But we come chefs to play with food and and to make people happy, um, to express our creativity, you know. Um, but you know, as you get higher up the rank and you know you you have more people working with you, you know, management becomes a huge huge thing. And and you know, these days, you know, I, I'm grateful that 
I, I, I've created an environment where I can still work the line, you know, a few hours a night um, when I when I when I can. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm really managing, you know, just make sure all my cooks are happy, make sure they're learning as much as possible. And I'm, I'm physically trying to give them as much of that information as possible. And if it's not coming from me, it's coming from my chef or my sous chefs. How many people in your kitchen? We have a staff of 24 people. And is wow. Denver going to be about the same? Denver is going to be about the same. It's actually, we're actually, there's only one, excuse me. Denver will be about the same. There's actually a few more outlets in Denver because the roof is a separate bar um, and there's banquets, which we're all kind of managing together. So, And how is Denver different than Portland? Denver is different than Portland. Denver is in a new hotel called the Halcyon Hotel. It's a bit smaller. It's 100, about 150 seats about. And the restaurant will be on ground level. And where we have the West Deck, Departure Portland um, connected, the, the, the bar will be on the roof. Um, so that's a huge capacity. Um, we'll also be open for lunch. Um, we'll also be open for brunch. We'll do dinner and brunch. So um, we've extended the kitchen. The kitchen is going to be a beautiful open kitchen. We'll have a sushi counter and we'll also have a, a kushiyaki, a Japanese grill counter. How do you uh, overcome, uh, obviously, Denver's in the Rocky Mountains, Portland's not too far from the coast in terms of freshness of, of the food you're serving, the, the seafood specifically? So, um, you know, I'm still kind of solidifying relationships with my purveyors, but you know, I mean, I think you, if you want to serve quality ingredients, you have to make some choices. You know, obviously you want to go with what's sustainable. If you're going to, you know, counter that with shipping cost and all right. that stuff, you know, so, you know, I, I think, you know, at our level, you know, you know, some hard decisions have to be made, you know, obviously we want to, you know, use what's local, we can find locally, but, you know, Departure is a very fish heavy restaurant, mm -hmm. um, fish forward restaurant. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be using sustainable, but, you know, we'll be shipping things from, from Oregon for sure, you know, because I love the seafood products here and, and from Japan and from Hawaii, um, but we'll just make the smart choices what those fish are. So you're a Portlander now? That's the way you consider yourself. You're I, I am. I mean, I, I think I've read somewhere that you have to be somewhere, f you have to live somewhere for about eight years to say you're from there. So, you know, now, I mean, at this point. It took a while for yeah, me to stop At this point, I only have roots here, you know, so that are personal. So so did you have a moment, because I can, I can remember a few of them, but th did you have a moment in Portland where you said, you know, I fucking love this place? Indeed. You know, the uh, first one. You might say it every day, but I'm just saying, do you remember? I, I think for me, it really started with going to the farmer's markets on Saturday. I think the first year that I was here um, and I'd gone sober, I moved here. And the first summer I lived here, I partied. Uh, by the next year, I had gotten sober in May, excuse me, in March. I got sober in March. And by that summer, I was sober and running and, and just being a better person and, and just going to the farmer's market every Saturday, I think was the first time that I realized I lived somewhere really different, really special. You know, for me growing up in New York and cooking in New York, you know, we had the Union Square Farmer's Market, but that was extremely seasonal. Um, and, and, the, I, and the city didn't revolve around. No, not at all. You know, so for me, like I would just go hang out at the Portland Farmer's Market and just hang out and like see people and just check out the products. And it was really, really special. And I, I think the second moment was, it's all outdoors based stuff, but really um, being able to go running in the gorge, you know, when I, and I really kicked up my running and, and started running a little bit further and started hiking, running and, and doing ultras and uh, being able to climb mountaintops um, with my own two feet in the gorge was, was probably another defining moment for me. There's a lot, you have a lot of defining moments. I remember for me anyway, watching you in social, social media, 
you you're running hundred miles around in the winter. Trying, around, trying. You haven't you I, haven't, I haotten, haven't gotten, gotten there yet. yet. It's a goal. It was a goal to, before I turned forty, but that has come and passed. So um, you know, but there's a huge running community here. Obviously, um, with our surroundings, it's a huge sport. Running is the one thing I did when I was in rehab in New York um, at my parents' house. It was it was like the one thing I did to leave the house, and I would run two miles. And so that's another part of my story as well, you know, like physically running two miles and it would be like the most excruciating pain ever. Um, you know, so I was super stoked the day I got sober. I, I you know, I decided I want to run a marathon and um, I did about six months later. Six months. Wow. Have you done it since or have you gotten smarter? I've kidding. run about 20 marathons. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> I say my, I, I say that I am the only yeah. I am the only person in my family who does not run marathons. Yeah. You, you can tell why. Right, and I was going to say one of the other reasons I love Gregory is he ran my marathons for me. I don't know. I, they're yeah. all done. Once enough, and now he's just taking, he's doing some for other for everyone else. So speaking of everyone else, um, you just last year was was a really cool year for you because you really hit the national stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd been on. Some shows before, a couple of smaller Cut, TV cut shows. Road ki- yeah. Cutthroat Kitchen. We won't, we won't you know, for you to that call that much. a small, yeah, well, it, well, you won, <laughs> you won, but for you to call that a smaller TV show is very interesting because a lot of chefs would probably might not love the show, but yeah. would like the exposure. But Top Chef was something pretty incredible, and I think that you and Dougie together was just something really special. It was awesome. I don't know. What do you think it would have been without Dougie there? Oh. oh, and by the way, we're talking about Doug Adams from Imperial, who came, you guys won, you placed and showed. We did. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, first of all, I think the support I got was absolutely amazing and unexpected. You know, like literally the week of the finale, like the letters that I got, you know, like I just, it made me cry. Like it really, I, I cried twice throughout the whole, the, the whole year of Top Chef and once was when I got on a plane back from LA after the whole thing ended and like I just like emotionally broke down because of the whole experience. I wasn't upset that I didn't win. It was just going through the whole experience. It finally hit me. And then just I just remember a letter from Danielle Santoni, who was the eater editor at that time and, and she just really thanked me for everything and for, you know, putting Portland in this amazing light. And like I literally felt like it was like the Super Bowl, like the night of like the Top Chef finale. And it was really cool because I really didn't expect that, you know. It was Portland's Super Bowl, and I have always maintained, I'm not a big soccer fan, so let's move that aside. Yeah. I, the bla- yeah, I come from New York area, mm-hmm. and I was a sports fan as a kid. So when I moved out here and I started my uh, Portland Food Adventures, it was my feeling that our chefs were our sports stars. Mm-hmm. They were our celebrities. So that was, I think, the Super Bowl for Portland. It was, it was intense. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And there may, you know, we've had... Naomi was in Top mm-hmm. Chef, but it didn't, it never elevated to that. Mm-hmm. And I think it, a lot of that was because of both you and Dougie, and you were both highlighted. But what happened there was you guys were competing as Portland. Mm-hmm. I think so. That's the impression. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot, one of the biggest misconceptions about that show and just is that it's highly edited and, you know, they make you out to be a certain person. And, you know, like for me, I felt the challenges were just kind of real and interesting, and you're extremely kept in the unknown throughout the whole time. Like, you don't know what you're doing. You're not forced to say anything. You're not forced to do anything. You're kept in the dark. Like, the 100% of the time you're there, you don't know what's next. So you're kept on your toes. And, and, and at the end of the day, 
it really is about you know what dish you put up and it's really just about the food and the, and 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 for us to be able to get to that was really cool and you know it was, we had three very different styles in the finale you know my style is different than doug's um and it was all about flavor you know and and that's that's what cooking is about it's about making something delicious so it doesn't sound like you were upset at all with the editing process because it had to be frustrating that all of a sudden you're looking at yourself and you're, they they must have left out something that preceded that. I mean, that- you're in uh, to be honest behind the scenes you're in, you're in hours of talking on camera, you know, so you, you you're in hours of talking about yourself. So, you know, there there are parts of your personality that they want to talk about and, you know, but it's just you. It's like they're recording you. They're recording you talking about yourself. So, you know, I, I feel we all feel we were honestly portrayed because it was just hours of us talking about ourselves and, and they condense it to a few minutes each episode, but it was just us. On a, on a technical note, like, we we were able to watch this over the course of, of weeks and months as this all played out, but you, how, in terms of the actual, you participating in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. that was, how long, uh, how no, long was we that? Never, no, we or were just we're in Boston. Or in Boston. Boston, okay, wherever yeah, you were. Yeah, we just, like, flew in and out oh, okay. a couple times. Was it, uh, it they condensed, that, you, that was kind of just, you're in to do yeah. all this? It's, so, it's over the span of let's see here um it's like may may through about october okay there's bits of filming throughout the that you're thing. going back and forth yeah and, yeah how many miles did you put on going back and forth uh no they, i mean how many no i meant how many miles did you accrue you, no they, they just they just they did they take you away and they lock you up and then and then they release you and then they take you away and lock you up and then they release you so again. you were gone for all those trips. months it was two, it was two trips that's yeah. a, but, but you were gone that yeah. long i don't reveal too that's much. a long camp summer camp yeah yeah it wasn't the entire time but you know but yeah you're definitely gone and people definitely wonder where you are and was there anybody that you absolutely didn't like you're you're in together a long time was there anybody that uh, like you'd be glad never to see again put it that way i mean you know what it was a long time ago i'm over it but <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like a lot of personalities and, and the people who who suck they they kind of get kicked off early <laughs> that's the way it works yeah did you um did you think going in i mean obviously they they do their due diligence to pick talented chefs mm-hmm. coming in did you think going in, I can I can kill this? Honestly, I didn't know. Yeah. And they ask you a million times if you think you can win, and I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, I I have no idea what's about to happen. So you know, I'm not like a cocky person. Like, yo, I got this. When I don't know, I'm more of a. I, I think things through. I see what the situation is. I see how I can approach it. So going into it, I had no idea because I knew I knew nothing of what to expect. Um, in it, I was confident that it was possible I could win. Um, but even until the last day, you know, like I wanted to win. I was going to do everything I could to try to win. Um, but you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to have all your ingredients in time. If you don't, you don't know if you're going to be able to not overcook something. You don't know if, you know, if you get something wrong, you're going to be able to recover from cooking it the way you want to. You know, there's, there's lots of maybes that happen in the kitchen in that side of situation you know you're not in a perfect ideal restaurant setting with all your sous chefs and your prep cooks making everything for you and, and all this amazing product that you can get from every single purveyor you know you're you're ordering from whole foods and a couple of specialty products that they get for you and you know it's a crazy kitchen every day and there's there's so many things that can go wrong but it's all on an equal equal playing field indeed because indeed. everybody has that same indeed. situation yeah. so you you were to, it was interesting. You were only talking about what could happen to you, but 
anything could have happened to anybody else yeah, yeah. to make it better for you or yeah, maybe yeah. worse. You know, I, I you know, I, I was never never ever thinking about that. I was definitely focused on trying to make my dish the best it possibly could be. You know, and I think that was that was my strategy. I think just trying to make the best dish possible, the most flavorful dish possible. I think there's definitely a way to competitive cook in terms of if you're serving someone one bite or two bites, um, exactly what's going to allow you to win. You know, fat is always important. Bold flavor is always important. Mouthfeel is extremely important if someone's just taking one or two bites of your dish. Um, so there's there's a lot. And you've won your share of those, too. I've won a couple of things. That I, I hadn't thought of it, but the, the chili jamboree the, a couple of years ago. <laughs> there was a little controversy around that. <laughs> Indeed. Was that chili? I read the rules and there were none. <laughs> <laughs> I googled chili, um, and you know, to me, chili is defined as meat and spices. So everyone knows that I work at an Asian restaurant. The controversy was that I made a curry and not a chili. Um, you know, but I think when you work at or you work in a global melting pot, which is Portland, and a lot of people are doing different ethnic cuisines. You know, it, I'm not going to make, you know, a Tex-Mex chili because I work at Departure and I work with Asian flavors. So, you know, to my argument, I, I smoked, um, I brined, um, I confit meat, and I added three chili mixes, three chili spice mixes. So, to me, I made chili. It had coconut and kefir lime in it, but... I, I enjoyed it, sounds, it, it sounds delicious. Yeah, keep, it was delicious. Keep it, talking. It won. I had it. It was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was great. No, it, you know why it's interesting you, you say that? Because in, in this building here, Alpha Media, we actually had a chili cook-off not too long ago, and a guy who's a great barbecue guy, it, he did a chili, and it was meat-based. Mm-hmm. didn't actually have any beans on it, mm-hmm. and he lost because everybody's like, where's the beans? Yeah. And he's like, no, chili is not about the beans. Chili it's about the meat, meat and spices. spices. But I also think that you're in Portland, Oregon, and you get a lot of creative leeway. Yeah, for in this sure. city. I mean, if you did the same thing in Denver, you, you probably wouldn't even. You yeah. might not even attempt it. I don't know Denver that well. Yeah, you're learning about it. Yeah. So, uh, but I think in Portland you can go a lot. Of that. that actually leads me to a question. But before I get to that question, Chris, we must introduce a shameless plug. A a, oh, product a blatant placement. Pro- product placement right now. Product placement. Yeah, it is time for some product placement here. And Greg and Gregory's talking about beautiful dishes that he's yeah. preparing. Yeah. And and I don't know if he has downloaded Picnic. Yeah. Yet. We had, yeah. we asked him before we started if he knew about the Picnic app, and uh, we, I, I think he's searching right now. <laughs> are you familiar with Picnic? P I Q N I Q. I am not. Not. No, you are now. Yeah. I Q N I Q. Yeah. So um, and it's a it's a new app and we're pleased that they're they're here with us. That, it's being developed right here in Portland, right? Right. It's being, it's a home hometown app being developed in Portland and it is it's kind of as was explained to me or as I've seen uh, it's a hybrid between and it's not exactly like either uh, Instagram and Reddit. Yeah. And it, and it is for home cooks. It's not about highlighting what you might see at departure. Uh, although you can, right? But it's about creating your own things and not bragging about them and boasting about them, but uh, getting conversation started about what what yeah. you enjoy. No, I, I love things like this because oftentimes, whether it be on Instagram or whatever, I'll see a, somebody has, has made a dish and I'll be like, "Oh, that looks really good." So this is a place where you can go see homemade dishes that people have made, and oftentimes you can get information on how they did it, what ingredients went into it. And uh, in January, they're actually focusing on healthy eating. Which, right. is, which is something I need to work on. I, I, I wonder if February is then going to be the unhealthy eating month. Well, yeah, the, the New Year's resolutions are over. 
I'll go to waste. Let's eat. So great. So yeah. picnic, you can find it on uh, uh, at the on the, iTunes on iTunes and the in the App Store. P P I Q N I Q is what you want to search and for. If you happen to have an Android. Like me, you can use your browser yeah. at this point in time. They're working on that. They're though. working on that. They'll yeah. have it soon. So thank you. Yeah. All right. So my question was, as we talk about, like, Chris mentioned it, like, you can get away with stuff in Portland. I'm, I'm almost, sometimes I think that, like, it's the emperor's new clothes sometimes where, like, somebody comes up with this idea and everybody's like, oh, this is amazing. Do you see that? often here in Portland, not necessarily your stuff, but I would never say your stuff, but um, people are like raving about whether it be let's let's put bacon on everything or everything must in- include kale. Can I tell you what my thing is yeah. now? Everything's smoked. Right. Everything's got to be smoked. And everybody's like, oh, it's so good. And it, in reality is, it's like some things should not be smoked and some things should not have, have kale on it or bacon. Kind of not bacon. Um, I mean, I think, I think writers and publicists are always trying to define trends. Uh-huh. I think that's something that's out there in the media. I think trends are kind of things that happen organically based on the season, you know. I think here where, you know, people are always looking to us at such a high level, you know, just was it the Washington, who said just that we're Washington Post, Washington Post right? Number one food city in America. But, you know, I think for what's important about us is that we have so many amazing things growing here and, and it's such a busting food scene that, you know, a lot of food trends kind of do happen you know, coming out of, of Portland in Oregon because we have so much food, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, I think as we look towards the future, sustainability is something that's really important and knowing where your food comes from. And, you know, that's something that we've been doing for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that is innate in the food culture of Oregon. And, um, and you know, there's a sense of responsibility and, and proper sourcing and, and all that good stuff. So that will always be at the forefront of, of modern cuisine. And, you know, for us to be able to talk about that is pretty important, you know, so people are always going to look to us to, to see what's new. And how do you feel about, um, that's certainly the foundation, but I also, I've always felt, and probably people have heard it on this podcast more than they want to, but I've always felt that the collaborative nature of this city oh, absolutely. Is, what, is what makes it really unique yeah. and different. Yeah. And I may be wrong. I haven't no, been in I, all I mean, I think there's two things. I think there's one, there's, you know, like the cooking from proper sourcing and, and the amazing products that we have from the rivers, the mountains, the farms, the forest, you know, that, that su- support all the restaurants that we have here. I think there's two, um, the artisan and maker movement, you know, people who are committed to creating tons of different products from, you know, salt to olive oil to candies to chocolates. Everyone's doing everything that they can on their own to, to create these products that we sometimes purchase. Um, three is is the, the global aspect of the things that we do here. And, and, you know, we're tucked away in this rainforest in Oregon, but we have people from all across the globe cooking, you know, region-specific cuisine, be it, you know, amazing Thai cuisine, amazing Japanese cuisine, amazing Mexican, amazing Indian, um, and people who really know, you know, what they're doing and, and, and really represent those flavors really well. So across the board, we have a lot of things going for us. Where are the Chinese? Chinese? Yeah. There's some good Chinese in town, though. Where's, where do you go for Chinese? For me? Yeah. Mm, yeah, I don't really eat that much Chinese food. I'm still working on my Chinese. Game. Right, but that's the first thing that yeah. in conversation yeah. people yeah, yeah. think there's a little, there's a dearth of okay. good Chinese. Food, okay. and I'd like to find it. I yeah. mean, I, there's some. Panda Express. There's a place called Panda Express. <laughs> Check it out, Gregory. <laughs> do you ever eat it? Do you ever eat that kind of stuff? Never. So, uh, when was the last time you had fast food? Uh, I I think I remember my last McDonald's French fry probably maybe in like uh, 
2003. How was wow. it? It was gross. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you were to make a McDonald's french fry, what would you do different than McDonald's does? I mean, I don't even know what they put in their french fries. There's a bunch of chemicals all over it. Is, is there any potato involved? <laughs> There's potato there. It's only, it's only good for about 12 seconds, and then after that, in my mind. Right. No, a cold, a cold french fry. No, it's no, blasphemy. Well, it's, I, I, used, I used to eat Chipotle, but I mean, I don't know. I think after two nationwide scares, I think I might take a break. Yeah, oh, there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So where else are you um, hanging out? Where do you like to go in Portland? To to, to eat, eat yeah. to eat, you know, um, Pock Pock is my favorite restaurant. You know, I just I love Thai flavors. You know, I'm friends with Andy. He's a mentor figure to me. He took me to Thailand last year. It was really eye opening and really amazing. Um, I feel very lucky to you know be able to bounce ideas off him and ask him for advice. You know, did you? Um, I I just shared his article on tipping and his experiment mm-hmm. in L.A. What do you What do you think about that? I I kind of I had just spent some time in Europe, and I love the idea of no tipping. Yeah. And to me, it's a, it's a simple matter of math. I don't know why people can't get it. Yeah. The price at the end, at the end, when you sign your name, is going to be about the same. Yeah. Why Why can't the model of no tipping with slightly higher prices work? You know, I think for me, as someone who knows how much it costs to make a dish and put food on the table and how much it really costs to, to run a restaurant. A lot of us industry people do. You know, for me, like, I'm pretty open to pay, you know, menu prices because I, I know what it costs to get a piece of, you know, a piece of fish on the plate. You know, like, I know what it costs to, like, have three cooks work on a dish and make it. You know, so, like, I'm extremely open, you know, because I know behind the scenes and really, really takes. I think the general public um, is going to take a little bit more education um, and anything, anytime you, you, you want to shake the system up, you know, there's going to be some, some, some resentment. But the give back is no tip. I yeah. don't think it takes a lot of I education. I think it's great. It's I like, love going to countries. Hey, you don't have to leave a tip. The I, I think it's going to be a little higher. I go to Europe and I don't have to tip. I ask them, are you sure I don't have to tip? And they're like, you know, it, it feels weird. You right don't at have first. to tip. You're like, I'm like, okay, yeah. great. Yeah. But that's why, that's where I don't understand their, the edu- education is very necessary yeah. because yeah. most of the people, let's face it, most of the people in Portland who who dine out at places like Departure and and Pock Pock, mm-hmm. and they're educated enough mm-hmm. to understand yeah. that yeah. equation. Yeah. So I'm not understanding yet. I'm missing something. Why that doesn't? Why yeah, that I, doesn't I, work. I, I, you know, I think as as we try to you know kind of innovate the dining experience for people and find ways to make it smarter and faster, um, uh, I think I think we'll get there. I think there's some changes that are going to come around that are going to be accepted. Do you have any innovations that are in your mind that you haven't implemented yet? <laughs> or you may not want to give those up either. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't know. I'm, you know, I've, I'm just really trying to learn as much about food as possible for me right now. You know, um, I'm just really trying to, you know, go to Asia a couple times a year and just, just make really good food. Still, that's really what drives me. Always Asia? Uh, no, I love, I love, I love a lot of different things. I love Mexican cuisine. Um, I'm French trained, so Europe. Europe has a place in my heart as well. Have um, you been to? Have you spent much time in France? No, I'm, I'm going in October though. Oh, good. I mean, I haven't been in France in a very, very long time, but I, I lived there for a few years in college. Oh, nice. few, excuse me, I lived there for a few months in college. And uh, what's your favorite memory in France? My favorite memory of France. That you can share that you feel liberty. Sh- uh, no one's listening. <laughs> I'll I'll do the French translation later. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, no, I, I lived in Burgundy in a small town called Nuit Saint-Georges, and I did the Vendage, which is the grape harvest. So I literally, you know, um, out there five hours a day picking grapes by hand, having, you know, epic lunches at like 10 a.m., you know, with, with the host family and um, all the, you know, the different cultures represented by the grape pickers. So um, it was a very, very awesome experience. Do you have a trip that you really want to make that you haven't made yet? I have a lot. I've, I want to go a lot. What's the top of your list? Someone, someone, your sponsor comes and says, Gregory, wherever you want to go, we're going to pay for it. Where would it be? <laughs> um, well, I'm actually going to Asia again, but I, I think China as one of, you know, probably the oldest cuisine, you know, I, I think before France, there was China, you know, historically, probably, you know, the creators of cuisine. Um, I would love to, you know, spend a time going through China, experiencing that. Do you know somebody there who can help guide you? I don't. I don't. Okay. Well, do you? We're putting feelers out right <laughs> now. Anybody... Somebody may reach out. Is there anything uh, other other than obviously cooking and, and food, and then you're running? Is there any th- other part of the Gregory equation here? <laughs> do you, have you seen Star Wars? Do I you, haven't seen. Star you haven't Wars. seen Star Wars yet. Do you do you watch any TV or anything? Do you, you have a guilty pleasure t- TV-wise or entertainment-wise? Honestly, I work 12 to 14 hours a day, yeah. and and then I exercise. I like to exercise two to three hours a day. Mm-hmm. and then You listen to tunes on the on the, on an iPod? I do. I listen to music. I listen to electronica. Okay. I like to sleep um, about six hours a day. So I like to eat. I like to go to restaurants. So let's add to the equation. Chef's Week. Yes. Okay. So, uh, what was the impetus for starting Chef's Week? Chef's it Week really is, and what are you in year three or four? We're in year three. Three. Chef Week was inspired by kind of some of the food events that I'd been to around the country, um, from smaller festivals to, to to bigger events, to you know, to dinner parties, to um, you know, just kind of seeing what was out there in terms of events. You know, I had always done a lot of collaborative events. Um, at departure and, and around town. So it was really kind of wanting to create this experience where we could get even more people together, you know, um, and just kind of create the story of Oregon food and, you know, f- focus on the West Coast and all the amazing products that we have here, you know. And, you know, the first year we invited some people, we, we went up and down the West Coast, we invited people from Canada from Vancouver, from Washington, from California. Did you know these people or did you have to go and say? Hey. I, I, I think I knew maybe like a, a couple people. I mean, locally, I knew almost everybody. Right. Um, nationally, West Coast wise, I think I, I just kind of blank emailed, cold emailed people and invited them. And, and, and I'm sure that some of them said, hey, you need to invite this person. Yeah. Their friends. Yeah, so yeah. they all have friends. Um, you know, so. So how, what's the ratio of. Portland chefs to out of uh, it's, out of town chefs. It's 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 mostly Portland. It's like forty Portland chefs. <laughs> it's like forty Portland. At this point, it's like forty yeah, Portland all chefs. All on the final night. Yeah. No. Well, <laughs> so Chefs Week started as uh, four dinners and four after parties. The first year was the blizzard um, from a couple years ago, and you know we got through it. It was really awesome. And then the, the next year. Um, we, we started having a more specific theme and the theme was collaboration, you know, as we spoke to all the different amazing products and artisans and makers and all the amazing things that we have here. So outside of, we added a dinner, so it became five dinners. Um, we solidified after parties as something that incorporated food 
and and we wanted to pair chefs up with all the amazing artisans and makers that make things around town. So we made wine, we made beers, we made chocolates with all um, all the local kind of distillers, brewers, artisans, and so that's how the the Portland chef number increases because we involve as many people as possible. Um, and this year we have about twelve out of state out of out of out of state chefs, um, and we're extremely excited. We have chefs from. Um, Canada, we have chefs from Hawaii, and we also have a chef from um, Baja, Mexico this year. So it's expanding the reach, and you know, overall we have 47 people involved, and uh, most of them are from Portland. And it's not just chefs; it's 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 um, chocolatiers and brewers and um, and and all sorts of other makers and artisans. So it's really cool. So I got into the uh, the West Coast Modern Dinner at Tala. When I had to, one day it sold out. <laughs> so I'm in, and I had I wasn't able to get some friends yeah. in. So there's some really cool events yeah. still remaining that Indeed. people can go to. Indeed, present culture. It was, the thing about Chefs Week is that we're not some huge festival. You know, we're completely supported by partners and people who want to get involved. You know, we pair about seven different chefs at each restaurant, and you know, this is a real event, a real space. You know, so they're they're definitely boutique. Um, you know, some you know our host restaurants, you know, seat forty, seat fifty. So, you know, um, it's still a very intimate feel. It's a very um, curated, you know, awesome event. You know, the chefs are trying really hard to make something really special with um, amazing ingredients. You know, they're flying in just to make this dinner. So it's just a really cool, you know, we're all together for a full four days. So, you know, the sense of community and collaboration really shines and we're able to show them, you know, an amazing bit of Portland. Um, and for, a, you know, a chilly weekend in February, you know, it's a perfect time to kind of get together and celebrate because um, there probably isn't too much else going on. Uh, so what are some of the specific dinners that are still Indeed. available? So we still have tickets still available to Present Culture. So Present Culture is our dinner where we showcase chefs doing international cuisine. You know, um, so uh, it's this year it's being hosted at Bollywood Theater um, with Chef Troy. Oh, that's a nice space too. You got you pr- probably have a little more room there. Indeed, yeah. So that's that's that dinner has some seats. You mm-hmm. know, that's a it's a big space. So you know, that's going to be really awesome. Um, Min from Longbon will be cooking there. Um, my friend Kumi, um, she's an amazing um, Indian and Mexican chef. She'll be she cooking there. She was on the podcast. Okay, cool. Great yeah. podcast. One yeah. of my favorites. Yeah, so she's awesome. In the archives. You know, um, Eric, Johnson, Eric Johnson from Stateside in Seattle who cooks Vietnamese, he'll be there. So um, I'll be there as well. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's a very cool kind of eclectic international dinner with lots of different cultures being represented. And, and, and people find it at chefsweekpdx.com? Chefsweekpdx.com. You know, ticket links um, will take you straight there with some more dinner details as well. Also, uh, the dinner at Renata is our hearth dinner. Um, we're really excited about this dinner. Um, we always have a dinner focused around a wood-fired restaurant. And, um, you know, um, people just really comforting kind of soul food um, of the Pacific Northwest. Um, and that, that dinner is happening there. Um, and then West Coast 2016, which is the big and epic final dinner um, at Departure, where we have, this year it's 33 chefs. Um, it'll be broken down to about 28 courses. Um, it's a very, very special dinner. It's four hours long. And it's anything goes. You know, we really ask the chefs to kind of just cook their heart out, you know, do a dish that represents them really, really well. Um, it's all the inter- uh, all the international and national chefs that are here, and um, you know some of the the Portland chefs that really had outstanding years, and we want to showcase them one more time. I remember seeing uh, Jeff Latham's 
in- Instagram feed last year, and he posted every single one of the dishes yeah, yeah. as they were going. Yeah. I wasn't it's intense. There. It's intense. It's, it's, uh, a it's definitely of- a, a Calder experience like no other. You know, it's probably the biggest tasting menu in the state of Oregon <laughs> at this time. You know, but it's it's really really fun. It, it goes by quickly. It's a lot of fun. Um, you get to meet new people at your table. You know, each chef comes out and touches every table after every course, so you get lots of good face time with each chef. Um, you know, we really want to keep it you know, kind of kind of intimate as much as possible. And I know this as well as anybody. Dinners like this, you're there with people who want to be there. Indeed. They weren't bought they their seats weren't bought by somebody by indeed. some corporation that yeah. said you got yeah, yeah, yeah. you're there with real serious diners. Yes, it's indeed. a good it's yeah. a really cool yeah. opportunity. It, it, it meet, really kind of meet new people. Yeah, it's it's like the top of the top of you know, the true food lovers in Portland attend this dinner. So Social media. You've got a little handle on this. Yes. Where do people find you? Where do you want? GG30,000. 30,000. 30,000. Is that uh, how many that's is that how many uh, followers you have now? What? Uh, <laughs> how many how many do you have now? I have 20,000 followers on Instagram. Oh, there you go. You're getting to 30. And then how? then he can be done. No, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, and he's rare. He's not well done. <laughs> so, uh, how many new followers did you get as a result of Top on Chef? On Top Chef? Yeah. Oh, thousands. I think I had 4,000 when I started Top 4, Chef. 4,000 in yeah. Europe. Had you, yeah. turned off, had you turned off the uh, email notification or were you getting them one after <laughs> no, another? No, no, I don't have notifications for Instagram. Okay, there you go. No, you can't have that. And, so that, uh, and Twitter, same thing. Twitter is about 8,000. No, but GG, 30,000. Uh, tw- yeah, I, I, I am most active on Instagram. I'm a very visual person. Um, I have a very short attention span, and I like Wonderful. Pic- and I have pictures. So and the, Instagram works best for me. And the other place to find you is at Departure. <laughs> at Departure. DeparturePDX.com. Departure Portland. Departure Portland. Yes. I've noticed that a few restaurants that are in hotels mm-hmm. obviously don't have the PDX because people from out of town wouldn't understand that mm-hmm. offhand. Mm-hmm. So Departure Portland, and you can actually, instead of going to the website or on Instagram, you can actually go up... To the what floor? Is it the, the 15th, thir- floor, 15th floor? 15th floor of the Nines Hotel. 15th floor of the Nines Hotel and enjoy. Uh, one of the most beautiful restaurants. When I have people come into town, I always want to take them to Departure. It's not like the rest of Portland. No, it's, it's very it's, different. We are unique. Very unique. <laughs> uh, and I think those seats at the bar are the most comfortable seats you can find anywhere. Yeah, so, you know, just, you know, we're, we're a big restaurant, very modern feel, you know, but, you know, uh, Panoramic views of the city um, over the Willamette River. You know, definitely during the summer and spring when the decks are open, it, it, it even adds to to the view and the decor. Um, you know, but I, I do believe we make very comforting, savory, delicious food, and and um, that's probably the one reason to go. I'll second that, and there's everybody else can third that. I'll third it. There you go. All right, it's a quorum. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having Appreciate me. It. it was awesome having you. Yeah, wanted, absolutely. Wanted you on the podcast for a long time, and. Um, Really glad you came. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. you. Thanks. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Against my will.